Here in the book of Philippians, Paul, he's talking to this church about joy. And we've been talking through the series about having a mindset of joy, that no matter what circumstances come, no matter what things we may face, that we can still have joy, that it's more than just a feeling, that it's a mindset. It's a mindset that God desires for every one of us to have and experience. Part of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, the evidence of God's work in you is joy. Having a, an abounding, ever-increasing joy. And here in this passage, Paul, he's speaking about his predicament, right? He's, he's speaking from jail. This is where he's writing this letter. And as he's talking to these believers, he's, he's letting them know, hey, because I'm in jail... It is strengthening the faith of believers in this city. It's strengthening believers in this area where I'm at. The, they are being strengthened because they see that not only am I in prison and struggling, but they're seeing what God is doing through my struggle. And so they're encouraged and emboldened to go out and proclaim the gospel message that Jesus is Lord. But then he says, while he's rejoicing about those believers who are encouraged, emboldened, and strengthened, he's lamenting at the same time that there are also other believers who are trying to one-up his ministry, that are trying to take away from the things he's accomplished to maybe diminish his ability to minister in the area to build up their own personal kingdom. And he says that these people, they're, they're preaching Jesus, but they're not doing it from pure motives. They're, they're trying to build really their own name and their own kingdom while at the same time trying to discredit Paul or potentially steal people from the churches that Paul had said to establish. So not only is Paul suffering in prison, not only is he a prisoner for the cause of Christ, but now there are people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who should be loving him and supporting him and praying for him. They are coming against him. They're coming against him. My question is, is how do you think that made Paul feel? How would you feel? If you were literally giving up your life for something, and the people supposed to be with you, supporting you, and encouraging you are actually coming against you. I know how I would feel. I'd be offended. I'd be hurt. I'd be discouraged. And I think we would be the same. But here, Paul doesn't respond that way. He responds kind of in a unique way. He responds in, in a strange way. Paul says in verse 18, if you look at the, your scripture there, in verse 18, Paul says, the very first phrase, he says, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that people are coming against me. It doesn't matter that... Everything I seem to be working for is, is kind of being hindered or is being uh, put in jeopardy because of what these other people are doing. He says that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. Why? Because the message of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. He says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to me or my ministry. It doesn't matter if, if these people are coming against me. That is not the point of what I do. It doesn't matter if people like Paul in this area that I'm imprisoned. It doesn't matter if people have good thoughts to say about me. You see, I've struggled in my own personal life with caring almost in a debilitating way with what people think about me. 
And then sometimes it's really hard to do what I know I should or be bold or, or step out. And, and even in my own Christian witness, because of that fear of what someone might think or what someone might say. And, and, it, and I know that I'm not the only one that struggles with that. And here I, I'm just taking from Paul that he has this boldness, this confidence in the Lord, that it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of him. It doesn't matter how great he looks or, or how sorry he looks. What matters is one simple thing, and that is the name of Jesus is being preached everywhere. It's being preached the gospel is going out. People are knowing or learning what Christ has done for them on the cross and that they can have a relationship with him and they're coming to salvation. That's all that mattered to Paul. What the point of his entire life was the gospel and that's it. That's why he was able to rejoice. That's why he was able to rejoice is because he had his mindset on a bigger picture. Somebody say a bigger picture today. He had his mindset on the bigger picture. Last week, we talked about margin, that we, we tend to be so busy in life that we don't have time to really sit and think and analyze our lives to, to kind of see where we're going, to dream and vision about goals and plans for the future. And all this busyness creates kind of a, a, a muddled picture of really what our lives are supposed to be like. We're not able to get a, a full view or an aerial view of what God intends for us to be doing or to be living and so we talked about needing to kind of slow down and maybe let go of some things in order to uh, focus on better things, to focus on the bigger picture. And what Paul is revealing to us here is that the ultimate goal, not just in Paul's life, but in every Christian's life, no matter where you are in the world, the ultimate goal is for us to tell people about Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. The scripture says we're ambassadors. We're, we're ambassadors of the gospel. Jesus has elected and appointed us to be his messengers. And as a matter of fact, think about this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says something very significant. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power to become my witnesses, to become my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But when I look at the church, when I look at Christians and I analyze my own life, I have to ask the question, do I have the power to be his witness? Have I been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness? Does my life reflect someone who's empowered? Am I witnessing? Am I telling people about Jesus? Am I sharing the gospel? Or have I received the Holy Spirit to make me a backseat Christian that wants no obligation to serve, no obligation to speak, no obligation to go out of my way, to look weird, to maybe be strange? Am I in this relationship with Christ just so that I can feel good about my own salvation so that I can hide and make sure no one else thinks I'm weird? That's not what the Holy Spirit is for. The Holy Spirit's been given to us to give us power to be light and to be witnesses. And so many times we get stuck in this, oh my gosh, what are people going to think? I don't want to lose my job. I don't want people to think I'm weird. I, you know, we get stuck in this, this bubble of, of what people think and we don't live up to what God has actually called us to be and God has called us to do. The only power of the Holy Spirit we seem to have is power to show up to church one week, one day out of the week. 
But there's more to the Christian life than just church attendance. There's more than just Bible study. There's more that God has in store for us. And it takes taking the message of Christ out into the street, into your neighborhood, into your workplace, and being the ambassador that he has called you to be. The ultimate goal in Paul's life and in every one of our lives is to tell people about Jesus. And Paul was able to rejoice because he understood that the struggles in his life, the struggles in his life, the imprisonment, the beatings, the shipwreck, all the times he was starving, all the time he was cold and homeless, everything that he's gone through, all of these struggles that he's gone through came into his life because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. His life was centered on and he was pursuing that bigger picture. So that's why he was able to rejoice because he knew that his struggles weren't for naught. His struggles weren't in vain. His struggles were for the glory of God. And what this tells us is that joy ultimately comes down to a choice, a mindset. It's determined by the thoughts we choose to think. And that is determined by the life we choose to live. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says something very interesting. It says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The thoughts that you think in your life, the thoughts you think in your mind, that is what will determine what you become. Scientists and sociologists, psychologists say that in the split second, there is a thought that appears in your mind prior to an emotion. Which means that even though emotions are powerful things, even though emotions are in our lives, we, we have emotions in any given circumstance, good emotions, negative emotions, there's a thought process that occurs prior to that emotion being unleashed in your life. What you think determines what you are, what you do, the choices that you make. And for every Christian, and I'm looking here and looking at Paul's you know, letter to the Philippians and, and how it has to pertain to joy, that ultimately what we think shapes who we become, what we think will determine the level of our joy. And this is why Paul in his letter to second, the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says that we are to take every thought captive and make it be obedient to Christ. That it's a, a, a very vital and important thing in our lives that every thought that we think, we capture it and make sure it's in line with the will of God. We're not following our emotions. We're not falling prey to the lies of Satan. We're taking every thought that comes through our cranium and we surrender it to Christ and make sure it is in alignment with his will and, and, and word. And we do this because what we are is determined by what we think. And what we think and what we are will determine how we experience our world. And I think for many of us, we fall short of this happy thought process. We fall short of having happy thoughts because our thoughts aren't being surrendered to the will of God. Our thoughts aren't being taken captive. We're not thinking thoughts that lead us into the life Christ uh, desired and planned for us to live. We're thinking thoughts that are contrary that are in agreement with the lies of the enemy, that pull our hearts away from what God intended for us. Now, I've got four children. Most of you know that. And uh, they're all in school now. Um, my oldest is now in middle school, so I don't have to worry about this much with her. But with the elementary kids, every year they have this uh, function at school called field day. 
and uh, field day, they get to pick different events and get to kind of compete. They do it differently now. They don't really get to compete. It's just like they have all these things that kids can do and they can participate in them, but no one, no one really wins anymore. So I guess they don't want feelings to get hurt and things like that. But in my day, when I was young, field day was like a big deal. It was legit. This was like the day everyone looked for. It was towards the end of school. You know, you get to be outside and play. But in my school, they made you pick two, at least two events that you had to do. Now, keep in mind, when I was younger, I was, I was kind of a portly young fellow. Uh, I was kind of, uh, um, you know, physically more massive than probably what I should have been for my bone structure. And, uh, and so I got picked on a lot, and it, it was, you know, kind of a thing. But uh, when it came to field day, you had to pick two events. And they always, like, the only two events that I could really pick the, the one I had was like a running event. There was a ton of running events. And the, the running event I had to pick was the 50-yard dash because it was the shortest one. And I thought, I'm not going to die by the end of it probably. And, uh, and I might have a chance of winning that maybe. Um, but I picked that one because it was the least amount of running that, that you had to do compared to the other events. And then the other event that I picked that was like my favorite event of all time was the tug of war. Any tug of war fans in here? You remember tug of war? I don't even know if that's allowed anymore. I mean, all the fun games are, are like outlawed because, you know, who wants kids to have fun? But, uh, you know, tug of war was a thing. And the thing about tug of war and being a fat kid is that they picked on you 364 days a year. But on the day of field day, everybody loved the fat kid for five minutes. Why? Because there's one position in tug of war that actually has a name. Like you don't know what any, any other position, everyone just grabs the rope. But there's one position in tug of war that has a name and it's the person on the end and that's called the anchor. And when it comes to tug of war, you want the anchor to be the biggest, fattest, meanest looking kid that you can put there because that's going to help you win tug of war. And so that's the position I got, got to be. And I loved it because when they said go, I mean, you just kind of wrap that rope around you. You know, there, there's some skill that, that's part of tug of war, but you wrap that rope around you. When they say go, you just kind of sit back. And as you sit back, your weight aids everyone else on your team to just kind of pull along and win. Now, if the other team has a fat kid on the end too, you know, then, then it becomes a struggle. Then you got to turn around and you actually have to kind of walk and, and pull along, you know, but you can do it. And so that was my favorite event because at the end of it, I felt like a hero. Everyone was high-fiving, and then we went back to the name-calling on the next day. But tug-of-war really is like this Christian life that we are caught up in with the way our thoughts are centered, the way our thoughts are, are, are caught up uh, in our lives. Life is like a tug-of-war because we have these two natures at war within us all of the time. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 14, he says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. We have these two natures constantly at war within us, our sin nature and God. Isn't it amazing to know that God lives in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? If you live by the Spirit of God, you will not give in to your sinful nature, and you have life, everlasting life, abundantly good things will flow through your life. But if you follow your sinful nature, you follow the work of the enemy, it brings death, it brings destruction. And we are caught in this tug of war, really, between what the enemy wants or the world wants. Satan is referred to as the God of this world. It says, in the world... We only find the lust of the pleasure, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are the temptations, you know, things that we see, things that we desire. 
this is what the world drives us to participate in. It wants us to consume ourselves with, wants us to uh, be overcome by for our ultimate destruction. And then over here we have God who's pulling us towards life everlasting, blessing, and promise. And we're at war, this tug of war between the world and God, the world and God. And it can be exhausting because this constant back and forth comes with a guilt and shame and forces us to have to stop and, and repent and say, say, yeah, God, this is out of, you know, I, I got consumed with this. I, I fell prey to this temptation, and now I am, uh, I'm in a bad way. And so, God, I recognize that. I repented that, and I'm going to turn back over here. And we start letting God pull us in this right direction. But after a while, we get comfortable. We see the blessings, and we just kind of ease in and start coasting in our, in our relationship with God. And we start to slide back in over to the world, getting pulled in this direction. And then we wake up and realize, oh, man, I, I messed up again. God, I'm, I'm going to turn back and, and, and pursue you again. And we start letting God pull us in this direction. And it's a never-ending back-and-forth tug-of-war. And this tug-of-war can be exhausting because sometimes it, it becomes so strenuous to the point that we even give up. God, following you is just too hard. Serving you is just too hard. I can't figure out why I keep falling prey to these same temptations over and over again. It's just too hard. And sometimes people will say, you know what? It's just not worth it anymore. I'm not going to fight it anymore. And we let the world win. The world shoves a consumer, greedy, selfish, covetous, uh, just mindset down our throats, especially in this nation in America. The moment you turn on the TV, you're being bombarded with advertisements of stuff you should buy. The moment you leave your house, you see billboards of things you should buy. And in the moment we turn on the Facebook or the social media, you're constantly bombarded with ways you don't measure up to somebody else's house or somebody else's clothing style or somebody else's kids and family pictures. And all this stuff is kind of pulling us in the way of the world to get occupied and consumed with things that really in eternity don't matter. There's constant bombardment with this temptation to be consumed with the world and let the world begin to win in our lives. And it becomes ever difficult to remain faithful to God and remain faithful to the way God wants us to live our lives, to think with priority the things of God, to keep our thoughts in aligned with the word and will of God. We live in this society that's saturated with selfishness and the pursuit of selfish gain. And Jesus, when he was ministering, he said, you cannot serve two masters. You will either hate the one or serve the other. You can't serve both God and the God of money. He calls mammon. You can't do it. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. You're either going to pull this way and the world's going to win, or you're going to pull this way and God's going to win. There's no middle ground. You will serve one or the other. And I feel like that's where a lot of us are stuck today with our mindset. And one of the reasons why we have such a hard time with joy, because we really don't want to be all in with Jesus, because that doesn't seem as fun as being all in with the world. And so we're one foot this way, one foot this way, and the tug of war is ripping us apart. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, Paul tells his protege Timothy, he says, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Think about that. If we have enough, let us be content. But see, in this world, there's never enough. There's never enough clothing. There's never enough, name it. There's never enough. 
You can never have a nicer car. You can never have a nicer house. You know, every couple of years, we always need new furniture. It's not enough just to have furniture. We need new. We need more. Constantly pursuing. You know, and the, the crazy thing is, is that this, especially in our nation, even the poorest among us are not poor. Even the poorest among us. If you have a house and a car, you are among the richest people in all the world. You know, he says, if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Think about this. Until you're at the point where you're debating which child you're going to sell into slavery so that the rest of you can survive, you're not poor. Until you're at the point where you're watching your children starve to death and, and they're being overcome by malnutrition and the only thing you can think of is to make a mud cookie and feed it to them so that their bellies can be full for a second, you're not poor. And that's a reality for many in third world countries across the world. It's one of the reasons why my family sponsors kids through Compassion International and other companies are, are there for sponsoring children because this is a reality for people. Our world, our nation has conditioned us to think that people are poor that aren't really poor. The problem is, is they have just enough, but the world says through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, there's not enough. There's a constant pull for more. There's a constant pull to pursue. There's a constant pull to pull us away from what God intended. Greed has no end. Lust has no end. Selfish ambition has no end. And the more we allow our flesh to pull us the way, toward the way of the world, the stronger the probability is that we are going to burn out and give up on our faith altogether. And we're going to get sucked into a life dedicated to living to me and what I want. You know, Hollywood is supposed to be the... the the ultimate goal, fame, fortune, popularity. But who would want to live their lives? Their lives are a wreck. It's every day that we turn on the news and see someone dies of an overdose. So there's a broken marriage or there's this, there's that. Who would want to live that life? It's nothing but a wreck. But yet that's what the world tells us we should be living. See, the issue with being joyful and content is that we really just need to live comfortably with what we have in our lives. It's an issue of the heart. He goes on, he says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. He's not saying having money is wrong. He's not saying having nice things is wrong. Our God is a good God. He blesses with things we don't deserve. But what he is saying is that it is the pursuit. It is the love. It is the goal that says, you know, my ultimate goal is to have a, a fully padded 401k, benefits, a house, white picket fence, 1.2 kids, and just a comfortable life. The pursuit of that above all is the problem because you're never going to get to where enough is enough. You're never going to get there. And this is all driven by the way we think. This is all driven with our thoughts and how our thoughts are out of agreement with the will and word of God. The issue of contentment and joy comes down to the issue of the heart. And ask yourself this thing. Ask yourself this question. What matters more to you? The size of your 401k or the soul of your next door neighbor? What matters more? what the stock market is doing or the eternal destination of your next door neighbor. You see, this 
pulls us. It pulls all of us. This temptation, this, this tug of war between what the world wants and what God wants comes for every one of us. And the reason why we are not satisfied with just what we have and we only want more is because ultimately we are not striving for our ultimate purpose. We're not focused on the bigger picture. We're not focused on the bigger picture that God has for us. We have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven. And we are caught between a tug of war between the world, what the world wants, and what God wants. But the reality is, and what we can see here from Paul's life, and what he's about to show us beginning in verse 20 of Philippians chapter 1, is that there is a tug of war that's happening, but it doesn't have to be that rope that we're tugging on. There's a different rope that could be what's tugging in our hearts. There's a different tug of war that we can be involved in. Beginning in verse 20, here's what Paul says. He says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me, Living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. And I'm torn between two desires. This is the tug of war. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. The rope Paul was tugging in, the tug of war that he was caught up in, was not between the world and the kingdom of heaven. The rope war that he was in, the tug of war he was in, was a tug of war between being with Jesus and doing for Jesus. Being with Jesus and doing for Jesus. And and I think in my own life, and, and, and I have to say, you know, if we would stop and think about, do we really love the Lord as much as we think we do? Do we really love Jesus Christ as much as we think we do? Is he worth selling your home and moving into an apartment so that you can advance the kingdom of God? Is he worth sacrificing, even going to prison for the gospel's sake? Is he worth giving up this world and all of its earthly gain? Is he worth that for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the testimony? Is he worth giving up a cushy neighborhood, a new car, a career with maxed out benefits? Is he worth that to you? Is he worth sacrificing it all, even giving up your very own life? Is he worth it? If you say no, then that means you don't love him like you think you do. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. These are songs that we sing, but they are lies if we say with our lives, God, you're not worth it. This is why the tug of war between being with Jesus and doing for Jesus, it was what motivated Paul because he recognized the bigger picture. He saw the greater story and he knew that nothing in this world ultimately mattered, that everything he had, whether he had a lot or he had a little, it was just a tool that God gave him to leverage to tell more people about Jesus Christ, to live up to the calling each child of God has on their life. And that's why when things were great, he could rejoice. And why things, when things were bad, he could rejoice. Because all that mattered was Jesus Christ and the message that he was crucified and rose again from death. That's all that mattered. You know, if I was tugging on the same rope Paul was, 
no matter the circumstances I faced, no matter the opposition I had in my life, the struggles in my job or in my family, I'd be able to see how God was using that to advance the kingdom of God, and I would rejoice. I would rejoice because I knew that it was all worth it. But the problem is, is that my eyes aren't in the kingdom all the time. My eyes are on myself, on what I want, and my worldly and earthly desires. And why I think, when we look at what Paul said, he said, you know, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You know, I think we can say that intellectually, but the reason why I think that's not as encouraging to us as it probably should be, as it was to Paul, and why we stay stuck in negativity, and why we continue to walk around saying, woe is me, rather than experiencing true joy, is because we are tugging on the wrong rope. We're not tugging on the being with Christ and the doing for Christ rope. We're tugging on the, let me be a part of the world. And the Holy Spirit is trying to pull us in the other direction. See, Paul the Apostle, he longed to be with Jesus. Not because he was tired of his circumstances, though I imagine were grueling and difficult. He longed to be with Jesus, not because he tired of his struggle, but because he loved him with every fiber of his being. He took the command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength at face value. He wanted God to envelop all of him. He wanted to give every aspect of his being to the Lord. He hated sin, and he loved Jesus, and he loved him with all that he could, and he recognized that Jesus Christ is the greatest reward. And he also knew that doing for Jesus was the greatest honor because of what Jesus did for him on the cross. And be a part of changing lives with the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the greatest privilege in the world. Do you know, church, that the gospel is the power of God at work in the hearts of all those who believe? When we testify of the Lord, when we proclaim the message of Christ, God's power is unleashed and he can transform hearts and lives. But the first part of that verse, it says, is I am not ashamed of the gospel. You can't get to the transforming part until you stop being ashamed of the gospel. Until you stop being ashamed of your Savior. Until you stop being ashamed of who you are in Jesus Christ and what he's called you to do. Uh, when I was early married, just before my, my first daughter was born, I worked at O'Reilly Auto Parts in Springfield, Missouri at their, uh, their warehouse, their home office. and. Uh, I was, I don't know if I had been in ministry yet or if I had gotten into my first uh, position in the church, but I was attending church, loved God. Tony and I, we both loved the Lord and, and were serving him in, in the best as we knew how at the time. And, and, uh, but my proactive and boldness for Christ was kind of lacking. And so when I started this new job, my intention was, yeah, I want to witness to people. I want to be a good Christian. I want to tell people about the Lord. But I'm going to kind of ease into this thing. I'm going to get, a, get to know everybody really well and, and become their friends, become really close. And then I'll pull the rug out from under their feet and be like, ha, I'm a Christian. You want to come to church with me? You know, just kind of ease into that. And, uh, and so, you know, that's what I was doing. I was just trying to be friends, make, make friends, make connections. And then one day I, w I was working, I was stocking parts with, it, with this guy. I don't even remember his name now, but the, but the, the story uh, has stuck with me my entire life since then. Uh, I was working with him, and he was asking me questions, and I was sharing with him some of my testimony, some of my story about how my parents split up and this, that, and the other. And, and, and he was kind of caught off by that because he knew my parents were in ministry, and then 
they divorced and my dad left town and in the circumstances surrounding that. And, and he looked at me kind of puzzled and he asked the question, he's like, so when did you meet Jesus? Essentially asking me, when did I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior? When did I become a Christian? And, and I hadn't gotten to that part that I'd been saved since I was a young kid, but my story seemed to confuse him a little bit. So he, uh, he wanted to know, when did you meet Jesus? And when he said the name of Jesus, panic filled my body. Tension filled my face. And I started looking around like, dude, he said the J word. You know, I'm like, he said Jesus. You know, and I'm looking around. I was like, who is hearing this conversation? Because this is like totally wrecking my plan. I was going to ninja this thing. And, and now he's like throwing it out there. And, and in that moment, I became so convicted. Because I thought, wait a minute. Why am I embarrassed to hear somebody proclaim my Savior's name? Why am I embarrassed to speak the name of Jesus Christ? What's the matter with me? What's the problem? That I can't talk boldly about the God who became a man, died for me, rose from death, and saved me. And I went home, and I was just tore up from the floor up, man. I was a wreck. And I started praying. I was like, God, forgive me of being ashamed of your name. Forgive me of being ashamed to testify about what you've done in my life. And if you give me another chance, I'm going to tell everybody I work with about you. I'm going to tell them I don't care how freaked out I get. I don't care if I lose my job. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And the next day, I went to work, and and I said, you know, I'm going to do this. And so everyone I worked with, I got to that conversation. I was like, hey, man, you go to church? It was like an easy way in. Oh, uh, no. I didn't, oh, well, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because, man, he can change your life. Talk about some awkward conversations. But I did it. And it was awesome. Because I found out one guy went to church and you know, didn't know that before. Now we had a connection. I found out another guy was an atheist who ended up coming to church to see an evangelist uh, speak when he came to town. And I had opportunities to minister to these guys. And, and before long, they were having conversations, spiritual conversations in other parts of the warehouse. They would come find me and ask me questions about the Bible because they were talking about it in other locations. God began to open up opportunities and doors for me to share, all because I chose to stop being afraid of my Savior and start being bold for my Savior. You know, and I think as Paul is writing here, he's writing and he's telling his church, look, the tug of war between the world and the Spirit of God, that's a, that's a pointless thing, man. Drop that rope and go for Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Love him with all your heart. Get to the place where you want nothing more than to be with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let that be the driving force in your life because when you're there, you'll stop at nothing to do for him. And Paul, he's communicating to this church. He's like, look, I don't know what's better, dying and being with Jesus or living for you. But what I do know, in order to get to the greatest reward, I have to give up the greatest privilege. And I don't know which one is better. And he moves from this statement into verse 27 as he's talking to this church and he, he's encouraging them to change their mindset, to change how they're thinking, to focus on the bigger picture. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. You stand up for Jesus, you're going to have enemies. You stand up for Jesus. If Satan's not coming after you, the people that listen to him are going to come after you. 
You stand up for the Lord, you're going to have enemies. But he says, don't be intimidated by your enemies. And by not being intimidated, this will be a sign that they are going to be the ones that are destroyed and you're going to reign in victory. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your salvation. God kept Paul alive. He continued to preach, continued to teach, continued to live until his last and final day so that he could encourage us to stand strong, to be bold, and proclaim the name of Jesus. And that is why each and every one of us in this room still breathe breath. Not just to proclaim the name of Christ, but to encourage one another to stand bold with the gospel of Christ, to stand bold. And I truly believe I, in my heart of hearts, in this day and age, in the, in the age of the church, that what's robbing us as followers of Christ of the greatest joy that we can experience is that we are not living for our greatest purpose. Think about it. How many people have you told about Jesus Christ? How many people have you invited to come and be a part of what God is doing? How many times in a given week are you knocking on the door of somebody's heart and saying, God loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to transform you. He wants to repair your marriage. He wants to heal your soul. He wants to heal your body. He wants to do a work in you. How many times throughout a week are you focused on the bigger picture? Or how many times are you focused on just living in the world? What's robbing us as a church, as Christians, as followers of Christ, of the greatest joy we could live and watching God transform a life. This, this weekend at the Man Up Conference, at the beginning, the end of the last night, I was there and we were kind of waiting in line to, to, uh, to get a picture with Derek Carr. And, and as we we're waiting, there's like a, a crowd of people uh, around the evangelist, uh, uh, Maddie um, Montgomery, and then Derek Carr was next to him. And all of a sudden, Maddie Montgomery looks at me and he's like, you're a pastor, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, hey, come here for a second. And so this was after the whole service was over. I mean, everyone was kind of leaving. And I was like, okay. And I, I moved over by him. And he looked at this kid. He probably had to be 19, 18, 19 years old named Christian. And he said, Christian is here. And he said, he wants to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. After everything was over and he was still seeking God. You see, it's not too late if you're seeking God. It's not too late. And... I was like, man, that's awesome. Man, this is the most important night of your life, man. Let's, let's do this thing. And, and Maddie said, all you got to do is pray and call out to the Lord, and he will come into your life. He'll save you. You just got to pray. You can do that right now. And so we sat there, and we prayed with Christian, and then we prayed over Christian, and it was just one of the most powerful moments. I wasn't there to lead someone to Christ, but I got to be a part of life transformation. It's a powerful thing. There are moments that you can never uh, forget where God transforms a life. This is what should drive the church. This is what should drive each and every one of us. But what's robbing us is that we are not living for our greatest purpose. We're not calling out. We're not living for the purpose that, that Paul was declaring with all of his might, that for me to live is Christ, because there is no greater privilege. For me to live is Christ, because there is no greater purpose. For me to live is Christ, because there is no greater pursuit. Come on, church. For me to live is Christ, because there is no greater cause. For me to live is Christ, because there is no greater calling. For me to live is Christ. There is no greater reward for me 
to live is Christ. There is no greater joy for me to live is Christ. There is no greater honor for me to live is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to die is even better. It's even better. Paul didn't spend time being torn between what the world wanted and what God wanted. It was all God. He was all in. He was all Christ. And it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And he did it. He gave everything he had, every drop of sweat, every ounce of blood, so that people who are far from God could be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So those that place their faith and trust in Christ could be built up and strengthened and become everything God intended them to be. And they too could be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. My question for you today is if you're, if you're not living for Christ, what rope are you tugging on? Are you spending all your time tugging against the world, really tugging against God and leaning towards the world with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God? Or are you dedicated? Do you want with all of your being to be tugging on the rope between being and doing, living up to who you are in Jesus Christ? Do you want a joy set, a mindset where joy can overflow, living as a citizen of heaven? Do you recognize that this is not your home? You're just passing through if you're a child of God. Why plant roots in the world when you can plant treasure in heaven? When our struggles come, when the enemy attacks, when, when things happen and we don't know why God's allowing things to happen, we can still rejoice because we know whatever it is that we have to endure, the gospel is going to go out and people's lives are going to be changed and the kingdom of God is going to expand and there'll be treasure waiting in heaven that we cannot Put a price on. To me, for me, to live is Christ. Can you say that today with your whole heart? Can you say it? Let's bow our heads for just a moment as we go into our time of response. I believe. I believe that God is speaking to someone's heart today. I believe God is ringing someone's bell today. He's speaking to you. He's saying, you know what? You're not living up to the purpose. And he's saying that not to shame you, but he's got something good for you. He has something better for you than what you've been living toward and living for in your life. It is something that he's prepared for you since the foundation of the world. And he's saying, you need to surrender. You need to give up your worldly pursuits and pursue who you are in Jesus Christ. You need to begin living for Jesus as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Maybe you're here today and you'd be honest and you say, you know what, Pastor Joey, I have been tugging on the wrong rope. I've been tugging against God my whole life. I've had one foot in the world and another foot in the kingdom of God. But to be honest, my heart, if I'm honest about my heart today, I would say, I really don't want to serve my God. I want to be the guy in the shadows. I want to be the girl in the shadows that 
that just gets to slide on by. I don't want to be the one to sacrifice. I don't want to be the one to serve. I don't want to be the one to give up wants and desires and selfishness and selfish ambition. I, I want everything just to be the way I want it. And since it's not the way I want it and that it's not perfect for me, I'm just going to sit in the back and, and just let God use other people. That's how I've been. But today I know that God has something better for me. God has a plan for my life that's bigger than that. God wants to use me to be a world changer, to, to help other people come to know the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of the reasons. I'm tired of being lazy in my Christianity. I'm tired of leaving up the call to other people. I want to be the one that God uses. I want to be the one that tells people about Christ. I want to be the one that transforms lives through the work of the gospel that God uses me to make an impact in people. I want to be the one God heals through. I want to be the one God speaks through. I want to be the one that God does a miracles through so that the kingdom of God can be confirmed among men. I want to be the one. I'm tired of living for myself. Today, I want to live as Christ. If that is you here today, that that's God speaking to your heart, I want you to stand to your feet right now and say, I am ready. I want today, amen, praise God. Today, I want to live for Christ. I'm tired of having a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom of God. Today, I'm going two feet in. I'm plunging in, amen, praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord today. Heavenly Father, God, I stand with those who are standing today, Father, and I just pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just overwhelm them now in Jesus' name that they'd be filled with such boldness and power, God, that it'd be undeniable, that joy would begin to overflow in their hearts because the shame and the guilt and the brokenness that has held them down is now being broken away through the blood of Jesus Christ, and in comes the glory of God. Fill them with your glory, God. Fill them with words to speak. Fill them with faith and obedience. Fill them with power from on high as they step out to be your witnesses. Fill them, God, more and more, over and over. Let it flow. Let it flow, God. Let it flow. Let your Holy Spirit flow. As we continue to go into a time of response, we ask everyone to stand to their feet as the band begins to play. And I'm challenging you to respond to what God's laying on your heart. If you're here today and you've been struggling with your faith, come lay it down. If you've been struggling with relationships, come lay it down. There's nothing the blood of Christ can't overcome. If you're struggling with a health issue, come and call on God for healing. And he'll heal you. If you're in need, if, if you're struggling financially, come to the one who provides. My wife and I, we had a financial need this week, and we honestly, we, we didn't know how we were going to afford it, and we took the money that we had, and we prayed over it. And we said, God, we're just going to trust you to provide. We're going to trust you. We know you're faithful. You don't fail. My faith fails, but you don't fail. So we're going to trust you. And as we're backing out, 
I had this thought. It's like, oh, we should check the mail. We probably should have checked the mail two days ago because it was pretty full, but we checked the mail, and in the, in the mail was a letter, and in the letter was a check. And it met the need. God is faithful. If you have a need, take it before the throne. If you have a burden, come take it before the throne. Jesus said, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. Come to me who are all weak and weary, and I will give you rest. This is not fake. This is real deal. The Holy Scripture is the promises of God. It's time that the church of God took God seriously and act upon the promises of God. God wants to see faith arise. He wants to see hope arise. He wants to see people filled with the Holy Spirit going out upon his promises and proclaiming the good news. So as the band begins to sing and play, you respond. If God lays on your heart a, an encouraging word to say, the microphone is set up. If you have a testimony, the microphone is set up. Come. And let's just respond to what God is doing in this place. Father in heaven, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this testimony. God, I pray that even in my own life and in my own heart, that I would be pursuing you with everything that I am, that I could always say, and even now, that it would be a truth in my heart that I could say for me to live is Christ. God, there is no better reward than Jesus. There will be no greater day than the day I see him face to face. There will be no greater joy than the time I enjoy my eternal salvation. That is the greatest hope. That is the greatest reward. But until that day comes, there is no greater privilege than to serve you. And I just pray that over our church. It doesn't matter what our assignment is, whether it's in the marketplace or it's in the church, whether it's out in the world or in the home. God, you intend to use all of us to be a beacon of hope and light. And I just pray that that faith and hope would rise. Come, Holy Spirit, rock us now. Fill us. Shake the foundation of our lives. Shake the foundation of our hearts. Transform us now. Let your faith grow. Let the faith of your people grow. Let the understanding of your love grow. Let the powerful works of the Holy Spirit be manifest and grow in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing. You respond. Come on.